2: As always, I will give you my highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week, as well as some audio from the WNBA's Connecticut Sun Media Day. Also, in a few minutes, we will be joined by our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. Well, my highlight of this week is the NBA Playoff Series, which are all tied at one to one for the first time ever, as they head to the home courts of the teams that uh, each stole a game on the road earlier in the series. A the, uh, couple of great is The Bulls' Heat, Game 1, shocker, just set the stage for what should be a fabulous rest of the series. The Heat bounced back big time and won by one of the biggest margins in playoff history in Game 2, Wednesday night in Miami. Golden State Warriors San Antonio Spear, Spurs series is equally compelling. Uh I stayed up and watched the double overtime game uh earlier in the week. The Spurs comeback was just incredible. Uh they outscored them 20 to 2 uh in the last 4 minutes of the game. It was just something to see. You know, the Spurs can still bring it. Uh, but, you know, that said, the Warriors have basically dominated the first two games except for that four-minute stretch. Uh, Steph Curry is by far the most interesting player to watch. Uh, I think any true basketball fan just loves a pure shooter. And this guy is all that and more. Uh when he swishes it, it's like no other. It's just pure shooting. It reminds me of the days of uh, going back to when I was a kid. Uh, probably the best pure shooter I ever remember was Rick Mount from Purdue. Uh, he was the original Indiana uh, golden boy before Larry Bird came along and again, one of the best pure shooters in basketball history. So watching Steph Curry is just a joy. But Another one is also, you know, Nate Robinson, and uh, he was up here with the Celtics and didn't do much except he showed up in a must-win game against the Orlando Magic a few years back playing for the Celtics and basically did what we've been watching here for the last two weeks. He was just instant offense, enabled the Celtics to win this must-win game, that was a series that the Magic ultimately come into the Boston Garden on a Sunday night in one Game 7 to go on to the NBA Finals. But, you know, Nate Robinson was certainly, uh, again, something to see. I'll never forget that game. He just uh, put together, come out of nowhere, and basically saved the season at that moment for the Celtics. So, it's, uh, again, you know, great theater, as we've come to expect. And, uh You know, just really good watching. And the other series, Memphis, Oklahoma City, are, uh, you know, interesting as well. And Indiana, New York, uh, both bear watching, both at 1-1. So great time of year, uh, last couple weeks with NBA and, of course, NHL, just nonstop games. It's fabulous. And, uh, you know, moving over to the NHL. That has been equally compelling. Uh, start to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, went to the Bruins game last Saturday night, and that's when they got beaten fairly handily by the Toronto Maple Leafs. But then they bounce back now have a 3 1 lead. And the overtime game the other night was just terrific. The Bruins are showing some of that Stanley Cup form from two years ago. That overtime on Wednesday night. Was as good as it gets. They both teams are skating up and down the ice, full speed. Just great, great theater, to say the least. The crowds out in the plaza at Toronto—they haven't had a playoff team in nine years—is just wonderful to watch. So, uh, so that's been good. As long along with you know the Penguins Islanders series has been compelling, and uh, I expect the Pens to put it away tonight. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, great, great time of year again. Just, you know, channel surfing nonstop between NHL and NBA playoffs games. It's just as good as it gets. My low light of the week is the, uh, blown home run call, uh, in Major League Baseball with the Oakland Days the other night. It was improperly, improperly called after video review, which clearly showed it was a home run. And, You know, what do they have video for if they still can't get it right? I don't know if Major League Baseball could have stepped in and replayed the game from that point on uh, the next day, which was yesterday. But just, again, uh, you know, they can't even – they fought video for a long time, and now that they've allowed it in for home runs, they're still not getting it right. So uh, back to the drawing board for MLB and getting the video component of their game correctly. And moving back to the NBA for my bizarre story of the week is the continued Derek Rose will-he-won't-he-play story. Uh, it's been a long time coming to make my bizarre news item of the week, but I've just gotten tired of it. Uh, nothing more I would love to see than Derek Rose show up tonight in Chicago uh, and play the game, but, you know, it's just now become this omnipresent storyline Game in, game out. It's gotten old. I don't think the Bulls or Derrick Rose are doing anybody any favors, namely their team. And uh I think they should just, you know, shut him down, say it's over. And then if he does show up and is able to play, it's an upside surprise. And everybody would be thrilled, uh, especially we viewers watching. So, uh Uh, Again, I just think it's a a game-by-game saga that's been going on for a couple of months now that's just really, really finally gotten old. My patience on this topic has finally worn thin, and I'm a pretty patient guy. My event of the week that I attended was the WNBA's Connecticut Sun Media Day earlier this week at Mohegan Sun Arena, and should be an interesting season as three of the most highly touted prospects in the history of the WNBA are all coming into the league at the same time. I'm speaking, of course, of Brittany Griner, Skylar Diggins, and Donna Della Don, Dalladon, excuse me. Well, the Connecticut Sun, who are going for a title this year, uh, also have a lot of new faces. And uh, we'll start with the new head coach, Ann Donovan, an Olympic gold medalist, a Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame member. And here's what Ann had to say about uh, arriving to coach the Connecticut Sun. This is John Inglesby from Voice America Sports Network here with the new coach of the Connecticut Sun, Ann Donovan. And Ann, welcome to Connecticut. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Well, I know everybody's thrilled to have you. And, uh, you know, you're joining a team with uh, a great recent history. And uh, I know that to the next level uh, what are your thoughts so far
3: yeah you know i've been hired to win a championship so that's the goal every day that we have in front of us is to get better every day and compete every day so that at the end of the season in october we're ready to get a championship it's been a great ride so far um, you know i've been here just about four weeks so was here for the draft which is exciting but with training camp now underway i think as coaches we're all really excited to be back on the floor with these girls
2: Terrific, and, uh, you know, I know it's only day two, and uh, part of day two is uh, obviously being consumed by media day, but uh, what are your impressions so far, uh, now that you've actually seen the team on the floor?
3: Uh, you know, everything you hear about the Connecticut Sun uh, as an opponent is that their basketball IQ is very high, and that they uh, smart team, and... That's absolutely true we've been able to move through things pretty quickly in practice and picking things up very fast work ethic is phenomenal the veteran players are leading the uh, newcomers and the ones trying to make a roster they're learning quickly that they've got to keep up with their intensity and with their effort so it's been really a nice mix of the younger girls and then the older kids really leading the way.
2: Excellent and uh... And you had, uh, you know, a wonderfully impressive history uh, leading, you know, to this moment. Uh, Can you talk a a little bit about the path that has brought you here to Connecticut and the WNBA? I've been blessed to be around
3: the game of basketball for a very long time. And as a coach, um, I think the highlight for me was the Olympic team in 2008. and just really enjoyed that moment. Um, had a couple years with Liberty and then stepped back into the college game and thought that that's where I would spend the rest of my career, truthfully. Um, really enjoyed being around the college-age player again um, and never dreaming that this job would become available. And um, When that phone rang for the opportunity to come to Connecticut, of course I answered it and ran to Connecticut. Um, so I'm really excited to be here.
2: Well, Ann certainly has the look of a winner to me. And uh, speaking of winners... Uh, the Sun's first draft pick was, uh, from the, uh, winning team of winning teams and local to boot. Of course, I'm speaking of the Yukon Huskies fresh off their national championship. And the Sun drafted Kelly Ferris, uh, top flight defensive player and, uh, one of the stars of the Yukon Huskies, uh, most recent national championship. And here's what Kelly had to say about joining the Sun.
4: I'm um, Every girl who goes through the, the, the stages when you're little and you want to get to the middle school team and the high school team and college, and your next step is to be a professional. And the fact that I have the opportunity to play basketball as a, as a job is kind of crazy. Um, but Very thankful for it.
2: And uh, are you going to have to move, or are you already, like, uh, Thank you. Not too far. Thank you. Not too far. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about the you know national championship run. Uh, it was exhilarating to say the least. Yeah,
4: definitely. Um, you know, after we lost the Big East tournament, um, we kind of regrouped. And tried to prepare differently and change our mindset and thankfully uh, all the girls pulled it together at the, at the right time and we all came together and, and got things done the way it needed to be done from the beginning.
2: Now you are well known for your defensive tenacity, uh, can you tell me a little bit about you know how that came to be your calling card? Um,
4: that was just always what I was taught when I was younger, is, you know, the defensive end is something that can win games offense can build off the defense and it's all about effort and hard work and doing the little things and um, that's just kind of my comfort zone that's what I like to do that's why what I enjoy doing on the court Um, so I just continue to try to get better at that and that's well whatever the coach is asking me I just try to try to get better at it each and every day
2: that was that was Kelly Ferris uh fresh off the national championship with UConn, and she is guaranteed to be a huge crowd favorite with the Connecticut Sun. And uh, the Sun also went international, brought in a couple new players. Uh, and first we'll talk with uh, Shatila van Grinzeven from the Netherlands, who was uh, played for St. Joseph's down in Philadelphia and was the Big Five Player of the Year.
3: My sister was on the team and they just had a great coaching staff.
2: Well, as you can hear, Satella is loaded with personality and uh, also sure to be a big crowd favorite down at uh, Mohegan Sun Arena this year. And lastly, we have uh, Joanna Leedham from Great Britain, who was the all-time leading scorer in the history of NCAA Division II women's basketball with over 3,000 points. And Joanna was also a member of the British Olympic team, and played in the London Olympics uh, this past summer. And here's what she had to say about playing home with the Olympics. Well, I so was so excited. Everybody always asked me
4: to describe it, and it's real difficult to describe playing in the Olympics. It's so unique and the most amazing thing i ever done. To be surrounded by the caliber of athletes in every single um, different sport category, not just basketball, was amazing um, to play on that kind of floor in your own backyard. Britain at all, and we are working on it getting bigger, but um, when we saw the stadium was full, it was just real, like, get you going, give you the extra energy that you needed, um, even though you really didn't need any more because it Olympics, but, um, yeah, it, it was fun, it was exciting, the fans were amazing.
2: And that was Joanna Ledham, new to the Connecticut Sun, and uh, as you can hear, another great personality, so a lot of new faces with the Sun specifically with their head coach, and Donovan. And uh, I think it's going to be an interesting year for the Sun. I also think it's going to be a very interesting year for the WNBA, again, with the three uh, college superstars coming in, Brittany Griner, Skylar Diggins, and Donna Deladon, all who will be playing at Mohegan Sun Arena this year. And uh, the WNBA has a new uh, contract with ESPN, so... I think this is a league that is, uh, potentially poised to go up to the next level. They've done well so far, but, uh, I think with the three new stars, uh, that they might go again, uh, up to the next level, uh, as, you know, their popularity increases. (laughs) So as my former co-host, Lemont Williams from outside the huddle likes to say, it's time to pay some bills. So let's take our break. And next up will be our weekly call-in expert. A.P. Stedham, of Bama Magazine.
5: Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports football and so much more is the focus of planet gridiron with damian anderson join the former arizona cardinals running back for a show that mixes well a little bit of everything damian brings to the program life experiences playing football and we'll talk about his variety of successes both on and off the field The goal is to provide you with a fun perspective on life, family, success, and, of course, football. Tune in to Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Sports Channel.
3: The job of a professional athlete is never complete.
2: Voice of America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports, and I am your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call in number is one eight 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 three four six nine one four four, or you can email me at IIR at concast dot net. And it's that time of the show when we typically have guests, and on the line is our weekly call in expert, AP Stedham of Bama Magazine. AP, how you doing today?
6: Oh, doing great, John. It's been a nice week and uh, have enjoyed the weather here and looking forward to the show today.
2: Terrific. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to call, as always. And uh, big news this week in the world of college football, as they announced the 2013 College Football Hall of Fame class. A uh, couple of big names, uh, Teddy Bruschi, who I know well from... Uh, watching it nearby Gillette Stadium uh, for many, many years. Uh little known fact about Teddy is that he was tied for the all-time career sack leaders in the history of college football, tied with uh, Derek Thomas from uh, Alabama, I believe. And so Teddy was an interesting name, jumped right off the page at me.
6: Oh, yeah, he's a prototypical Bill Belichick type of player, John, smart and tough. And that that's the combination he looks for when he's drafting football players. And, you know, Teddy had a fantastic collegiate career and did very well uh, at the NFL level. And he's a deserving person to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, the only significant thing that happened this week that I thought was a little bit strange was, He tied the record of Derek Thomas, and Derek was a nominee himself. So the person who tied Derek gets in before, before Derek. So, but I think Derek will eventually be in the Hall of Fame right next to his friend uh, Teddy Bruschi. They, uh, I had a chance to interview Teddy at the Walter Camp Football Foundation a few years ago, and he was receiving an award. And he spoke of his admiration for Derek and how he watched him through the years, and you know. You know, Derek was so much of an influence on pass rushers at that time. He's so quick and so fast. And I'll never forget the game against Penn State and Brent Musburger. He was jumping out of his booth with all the accolades. He mentioned that day about such a dominating performance by a defensive player on a collegiate level.
2: Yes, well, and Derek Thomas uh, tragically died in the auto accident when he was playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. And, uh, yes, just a, you know, sad ending, to say the least. And, uh, yeah, well, you know, Teddy Bruschi, I mean, uh, let's just say I never, uh, ever lost a trivia contest by asking the simple question of, uh, you know, what member of the Patriots or however I wanted to phrase it, you know, was the all-time college uh, sack leader. Uh, Tied, of course, as we're discussing. And uh, trust me. Little known fact, nobody ever gets that one right, and uh,
6: <laughs> yeah John, yeah, I'm sure you won a lot of a lot of dinners on that
2: uh question i'm sure absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> but you know i I think that just speaks to you know the patriot's success in Belichick's drafting in that he you know that 's the type of player you go after i mean he he was just not your run of the mill college player, although he did not have the biggest of big names. I think a lot of that has to do with you know. Played at uh University of Arizona in Tucson, oh, and, uh you know, so they don't get that East Coast uh, viewership, playing those, you know, 1130 at night games back in the day before all the games were on TV, and so not that many people knew who he was, but, you know, Belichick sure did, and, you know, he, again, he's the all-time, tied for the all-time leadership in college sacks, so, you know. That's a special player, and Belichick likes guys like that, or you know, some, people who have done something exceptional, captains of teams, leaders, what have you. So, Brewski, as we know in retrospect, certainly filled that bill and much, much more. And now he's having a gangbuster career as an announcer at Wes or at ESPN.
6: Yeah, John, I, I don't think you're going to see that record touched because the way the passing game is structured today. You're getting, you're releasing the football within like a little bit over two seconds. So it's very hard to get to the quarterback. I mean, just for an example, uh, Derek Thomas had 27 sacks in one year. Uh, Teddy Bruski, I believe, had 19 in one year. You just don't see those numbers. And guys with that skill level usually come out early in the draft. They never get to their senior year, four year career. So maybe those records will live a long time
2: absolutely no question about it and uh you know another name that jumped off the list for me personally was uh jerry gray from the university of texas making the list and i say that because i actually had a very nice telephone interview with jerry gray uh two nights ago uh he is the current defensive coordinator of the tennessee titans and he was one of 63 uh, coaches and front office personnel that were down at a career development symposium sponsored by the NFL at Wharton College, Wharton Business School, the famed Wharton uh, at the University of Pennsylvania uh, where everybody from Roger Goodell to uh, to Bob Kraft and Dan Rooney and Ray Rice and others of that ilk were in it Bill Poley and Bill Cower I mean it, it was basically. two-and-a-half-day symposium to to, to, talking with, you know, the next level down of, you know, be it assistant coaches, uh, put it this way, the next generation of head coaches and GMs in the NFL. Uh, So current assistant GMs, assistant coaches were who the symposium was put on for. So, you know. Again, I talked to a couple people, wrote up a story for the NFL player engagement website, who I write for. And uh, Jerry Gray was a true gentleman. We had a terrific conversation for about 10 minutes. And uh, so just wonderful. And now, you know, seeing his name on the list uh, makes it even more of an interesting interview to me. I mean, you know, I I was well, well aware of his famous college career, uh, to put it mildly, but uh so as he was being announced as a winner this week, uh, you know, to the Hall of Fame, uh, he was also attending what was just by any standard a fascinating symposium with, uh, you know, coaching colleagues, again, front office personnel who will someday be uh, the new head coaches and the new uh, general managers of the NFL. And I, based on my conversation I wouldn't at all be surprised if Jerry Gray is one of those people one of these days. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either, John. He's a fantastic player at Texas. I mean, a
6: two-time Southwest Conference Player of the Year. For those who remember that glorious league. <laughs> and uh, Yes. You know, he's a two-time All-American, <clears throat> very good player. So he, he's you know with the, the Titans right now. So look for his name down the road for maybe a head coaching position. I know he's been considered in the past.
2: Yes, yes. Well, I think he's, uh, you know, at the top of the list. And I can truly say from chatting with him on the phone the other night, uh, a true gentleman and someone that I'm personally rooting for to see as a head coach in the NFL someday. And, uh, you know, there were some other interesting names as well. Uh, you know, when I look at the list, uh, you know, right off the bat, Vinny Testaverdi jumps right out at me. I mean, Storied college career and, of course, went on to uh, the Browns and the Jets and really hit his stride when he ended up with the uh, Jets and Bill Parcells, who, like he has so often, brought out the best in him. Um, but me growing up in Pennsylvania, I, of course, always remember the famous, famous national championship uh, against Penn State when it was like the, you know, the conservative Penn State crew against uh, the U at the height of their bad boy image when they all got off the plane wearing fatigues. Testaverde, of course, uh, got on, you know, Testaverde and his teammates got off the plane in Arizona for the Fiesta Bowl national championship uh, wearing fatigues. And, you know, speaking of good trivia questions, I'm sure people don't remember uh, the Penn State player who made the fifth interception to seal the game uh on basically the game's final play. Uh was a linebacker named George Giftopoulos. <laughs> and I guarantee not too many people know that. But he <laughs> I didn't know sealed the nest. You
6: caught me on that one. <laughs> uh,
2: if you're not getting it, that means nobody's getting it.
6: <laughs> I was but thinking it, Shane Conlon. That's the name that
2: came to my head. I don't know. Shane Conlon was on that team, I believe. And, uh yeah, I mean, uh, again, you know, that that literally sealed the National Paternos' second national championship. And uh, if you grew up a half an hour from Penn State like I did, uh, you know the name George Giftopoulos, but not a lot of people do. Um, but other names, you know, uh, I found Danny Warfel to be an interesting name. I know he won a national championship in Florida. Yeah. We all know that, you know, this is all about college. His pro career did not pan out. Right. Uh, but, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, uh, not to speak in any way, you know, negatively, I was just surprised to see his name. I guess I liked him, knew him, enjoyed his game, but I wouldn't have thought College Football Hall of Famer, to be perfectly honest.
6: You know, John, he, he had that shot-put type uh, release with his passes, but he was really accurate in that uh Spurrier offense. I mean, I watched him countless times beat up Alabama, and he would get that ball on the outside shoulder where an Alabama defensive back was draped over the receiver, but he couldn't put his hands on it because Werfel placed it in the exact spot. He was you know, a tremendous player, Heisman Trophy winner, Walter Camp, Maxwell, Davey O'Brien, award winner. He, heck, he was two-time SEC player of the year. So, uh, and he had, and he had four SEC championships and not too many people walking this earth can make those statements.
2: Wow. Well, you made a very good argument and, uh, wow. I, you know, I, I did not remember all that about him. Uh, probably should have, but, uh, I hear that and a, a, a worthy, worthy Addition to the list, and uh, AP, we still want to, you know, go over this list a little more thoroughly. So, but why don't we take our break now? We'll come back and revisit some of the other big names on the College Football Hall of Fame list.
6: Okay.
5: your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
0: Every Wednesday, you'll want to talk sports with touchdown Tony Collins and his co-host Bill Mattis. Tony's broken records and has been to the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl. We'll talk about what's happening in sports every week with news, action, and notable guests from all aspects of the sports world. We'll also involve you by discussing questions and topics of interest sent in via email from listeners all over the world. Become what you believe. Tune into Sports Talk with Touchdown Tony Collins. Wednesdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports.
5: This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, that's presented to you by Outdoor Channel. On this week's program, we'll have Terry Hamby from Deer Dirt and Outdoor Rider, Scott bestjill and he'll tell us how to use chainsaws for deer management. Hey, we also have another Outdoor Rider, David Hart and Brent Eaton with Polaris. Hello, Polaris. When we talk about food plots and deer management. And as always, it's brought to you by Outdoor Channel and Ram Trucks. Wednesdays at 1 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel.
2: Voice America listeners, welcome back to Segment 3 of All Around Sports, and I am your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And on the line with us still is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And, A.P., I uh, enjoyed talking with you in the first segment about the college football hall of fame class recently announced and uh why don't we talk about a few more names another one that jumps out at me is uh tommy Frazier, the quarterback of nebraska uh those great nebraska teams of the uh early to mid 80s
6: yeah he was a fantastic quarterback uh john you know he he was such a a great runner besides being you know playing the quarterback position I mean, I remember that Florida game, for instance. I think the whole team in the sideline tried to tackle him, and he they couldn't get him on the ground, and he went down the field and made big yardage. Uh, you know, he's All-American, Johnny Unitas award winner, uh, Big 8 the Big Eight, people can remember that league, Offensive Player of the Year, back-to-back perfect national championships. Not many people can make that claim. So he, he's a terrific player. Uh, you know, not not any professional potential, of course, because he was not a throwing quarterback. But right. he did just enough to keep the defense honest in those days. But he was a worthy candidate, and, you know, glad to see him in the uh, Hall of Fame.
2: Absolutely. Well, I, of course, have, you know, uh, I'm going to bring another kind of Penn State perspective to this, where uh, I achieved what at the time was a bucket list item. I went to the Rose Bowl in 1995, Uh as in New Year's Day 1995, the 1994 team, and they were undefeated, Penn State, and they had that great team of Carrie uh, Collins, Kajana Carter, and Bobby Ingram. And uh, they went undefeated that day. They beat Oregon in the Rose Bowl. I'm out in Pasadena, you know, living the dream. But what had happened the night before was, you know, Nebraska and Coach Tom Osborne were basically awarded Uh, the national championship when they beat, I believe it was Miami in the orange bowl on new year's Eve. And, you know, a lot of it, frankly, you know, was considered by Penn state fans to be a sympathy vote for Tom Osborne to get, you know, the national championship. I remember Bob Costas, you know, basically awarded it to him verbally that night as the announcer of that game. And Penn state fans have never forgotten it. Uh, So I was denied, thanks to Tommy Fraser and the like, of attending what was, you know, literally the outright national championship game the next day. That of course started when Kajana Carter ran 83 yards on the first play from scrimmage. I was in the seventh row in the end zone. He literally ran right into my lap. That's no exaggeration. And uh, (laughs) and Penn State to this day has in Beaver Stadium, you know, the New York Times awarded them. That year 's national championship, not nebraska and uh, and that plaque to this day hangs in uh, Beaver Stadium in Penn State. when they list national championships, they list that year as well
6: yeah, they might as well i mean i don 't see anything wrong with listing your national championships from accredited media sources I mean, you know media you know organizations i mean so right that 's fine
2: yeah, I mean they were undefeated and uh I'm guessing Nebraska was undefeated. I'm not 100% positive. We're going back a few years here, but I'm guessing they probably were that year. Yes, yes. But uh, another name that just jumps off of me, at me uh, off the page, uh, you know, maybe the really one of the great offensive linemen in history, Orlando Pace from Ohio State, who then went on to be uh, the anchor of the Rams offensive line that ultimately resulted in, you know, the greatest show on turf yeah when
6: you you have a name that called the pancake man yeah <laughs> you must be pretty good as an offensive lineman. you know they're not talking about your eating habits, so you know he's an exceptional blocker and uh heck he was fourth in the Heisman trophy balloting, which is hard to hard to uh fathom you know in this day and age where everything everyone looks at the the quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers. So, you know, he's an outstanding player, two-time All-American, just great, great addition, uh, to that Ohio State Buckeye legacy. And, you know, blocking for Eddie George, you didn't need to be, put your man down, but he, he flattened him most of the time.
2: Yes. And Eddie George, of course, won the Heisman Trophy. And, you know, if I remember correctly, I think Orlando Pace may be credited with basically inventing the term pancake. I might be I think I might be right about that. I think the 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 term pancake was first applied to an offensive lineman with Orlando Pace. Now I could be wrong, but that, that's my memory on that one. It,
6: it, he'd be a second cousin to the person who invented it anyway.
2: <laughs> no question. Uh, another name that I like, moving down into the coaches who were elected, Wayne Harden. And what, uh, what, what I find interesting is, of course, he was the Navy coach from 1959 to 1964, which meant he coached Roger Staubach to the Heisman in 1963. I, of course, have interviewed Roger Staubach uh, for Armchair General Magazine, who I write for. And I remember when I interviewed uh, Roger a few years ago in his office in Dallas, that he uh, he spoke with reverence, literally, about Wayne Harden and gave him a lot of credit. And then Wayne Harden went on from Navy to Temple, just right up the road in Philadelphia. I'm sure he got familiar with Philadelphia from all the Army-Navy games he played, <laughs> he coached in. But, uh, yeah, just uh, again, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania that Wayne Harden was a big name. You know, he really was. So I'm glad to see he made the Hall of Fame.
6: Yeah, you know, John, here's something for you. He coached, uh, two Heisman Trophy winners at Navy. And some people may not know the other name. Maybe you do. Uh, Joe Bellino was from Massachusetts, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, a Heisman Trophy winner in 1960. And so it was Roger Stahlbeck and Joe Bellino. Not many people can say they coached two Heisman Trophy winners.
2: And I should have mentioned that because I interviewed Joe Bellino in his office a mere 20 minutes from my house last <laughs> December. That article will be uh, forthcoming in Armchair General magazine uh, in the coming months. So, uh, yes, uh, I'm remiss in not mentioning Joe Bellino. just that, you know, Roger Staubach jumped right off I mean, But, yes, that's, I mean, what a great perspective, you know, coach. Two different Heisman Trophy winners, which I'm sure to, you know, today's listeners, uh, you know, younger than us, you know, two Heisman Trophy winners from Navy in a four-year span is pretty amazing when you look back on it, to say the least.
6: Oh, yeah, it's un- it's unbelievable. Jo- John, did you happen to speak to him about his head coach at all? That He mentioned his uh, admiration. Joe Bellino? R- right, Joe Bellino.
2: Absolutely. He, again, spoke with, you know, in reverential terms about Wayne Harden, which just, again, just tells me, you know, uh, how highly he was respected. I mean, y- you know, that Navy team of the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, was, you know, just famous. I mean, they played the national championship game in the Cotton Bowl against Texas uh, in Staubach's year. And, uh, you, you know, that that was back in the day. That was, you know, one of those game of the century numbers uh, that the whole country was tuned into. I mean, Staubach totally captured, you know america's sporting public's imagination joe Bellino again uh you know was uh, he was a household name you know and friends with john f kennedy you know they were let's just say they arrived in the washington dc area at the exact same time both massachusetts natives so you know just Just really, uh, you know, good stuff, and, and, you know, really not that far removed from the end of World War II. I mean, 15 years down the road, so that whole sort of, you know, uh, philosophy, if you will, or carryover from, you know, the military academies being dominant was still very much in existence in those years, to say the least.
6: Oh, yeah, and and it's amazing that, uh, you know, President Kennedy got to see those. You know, those two players, uh, you know, and I know that I think with that Army-Navy game, John, maybe you can help me on this point in 63 at the passing of the president, that was a solemn moment. I don't, I don't know if President Kennedy, I think that game was played after his assassination. So he, he always had yes. to go to that game, and that was a, a sad day for America, and especially that day when Army-Navy had to play each other.
2: That was a gigantic, you know, uh, topic. Uh, The game may have been delayed a week. I'm not sure about that. I think it. Um, Oh, I am sure about that. It was because Kennedy was assassinated on a Friday afternoon. It was scheduled for the next day, and it was delayed a week. Even that met with a lot of controversy. But Kennedy had attended the game at JFK Stadium the year before in 1962, which was Staubach's junior year, and uh, you know Kennedy was a Navy man. So, you know, know, there was a a strong connection. Oh, yeah, a strong
6: connection between those two players and President Kennedy. Oh,
2: absolutely. Huge. I mean, Kennedy had actually gone to their practices. He may have given them a pep talk (laughs) before the 62 game. And, uh, oh, yeah, no, the the 1962-63 Army-Navy games are just famous as they pertain to Kennedy, uh, to say the least. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, again, growing up in Pennsylvania... It was five hours east of me down in Philadelphia, but you know, and my father was uh, an Army veteran, so I mean that was appointment viewing in my household and in many and in, in millions of American households. I mean, that's a big part of why I became why I became the sports fan I become because you know, as a very very young boy, the Army Navy game that was it. <laughs> I mean that was the event of the year, no question about it.
6: Yeah, I always enjoyed watching that game, John. You know, there was only one game on, and maybe that that weekend it might have been two. They get a doubleheader one weekend during the year, but to watch that pageantry of those the soldiers marching on the field and the cadets and the navy midshipmen it, it was fabulous, and to listen to the the band playing and everyone every play was, was a loud cheer because of the the stadium was divided evenly between the army and the navy. I I love that atmosphere, and I. I really would like to attend one of those games in the future if I can. I'd really look forward to to being there to see it in person and hear all the the sounds of, of that game.
2: Well, AP, I highly recommend it. As you well know, I finally made it there again. Bucket list item, lifelong for me, and I finally got there this past December. Covered the game, media credentials at the link in Philadelphia, and it was everything I could have ever hoped for and more just what you talked about uh i I was there three hours ahead of kickoff for the march on of cadets and midshipmen and uh it's a true slice of americana you know in super in philadelphia is like a super bowl city on army navy weekend it just dominates the whole city and uh it's quite a spectacle and i would highly highly recommend uh You know, you get down there, it's, it's, again, it's it's just, uh, you know, should be on every, not only American, every American sports fan's bucket list because, you know, uh, number one, sports, number two, American. That's the Army-Navy game right there. I can't put it in any better terms than that.
6: I look forward to it, John.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, Well, with that said, uh, why don't we take our break and uh, still lots to talk about on the other side. Worse America listeners, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports, and I'm your host, John Inglesby, and as I always like to do with the final segment, let me start off with my appointment viewing of the weekend. It's, of course, NBA and NHL playoffs sprinkled in with a little bit of uh TPC golf down at Sawgrass, a place that I've had the pleasure to stay at and uh tiger's making a run today had an eagle on the 11th so he's up near the leaderboard uh which is topped at the moment by sergio garcia so it's the so-called fifth major everybody loves watching that because of the 17th hole island green so uh so it should be some fun watching over the weekend and ap stedham from Bama magazine is still on the line with us and AP. We talked about the College Football Hall of Fame the last couple of segments, uh, being the final, the new class of 13 being announced. But there's also some other interesting news with uh, college football this week. And uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that?
6: Yeah, John. This is um, the time of year when they have the basketball sign, Division One basketball signings, and it begins in mid-April and ends in mid-Mid-May. But there's been about 450 transfers and counting so far. And that, that's a big number considering you have, let's say, 320 teams. That, that's more than one a team, one per team. So there's a uh, the coachings, uh, the Board of Coaches, National Coaches Board, they want to stop all this transferring, and they're proposing to waive all the loopholes where you can transfer because a family member has an illness or that that rule that came up a few years ago where you can graduate early and if you have one year left of eligibility or maybe even two if you graduate in three years you could transfer and play right away so they want everyone to be able to transfer but sit for one year no matter what the, what the circumstances so the, there's a mad rush in this time of year for players moving to different schools and like i said it's 450 or so in counting
2: well, that's an astounding figure i mean you know Everybody who's interested in sports, you know, hears about a couple of these a year, uh, some with a one-year wait, some without a one-year wait. Of course, the people who are deciding, the coaches, don't ever have to wait. And as we well know, they can. Uh, nobody jumps around more than coaches. And, uh, you know, they seem to be bound by nothing when they uh, get a better offer. And so, you know, it really is, it's interesting. I mean, the key here, if I understand it correctly, is, you know, uh, making the one-year wait mandatory in all circumstances. Is that generally correct, AP?
6: Yes, that's it, John. And and I kind of tend to agree with you. All these coaches are interested in the, you know, transfer rules. And they become upset if a player leaves. Well, the circumstances aren't to their uh liking or you know they don't feel they have a chance to go to the next level and there's a disagreement between the coach and the player why shouldn't you transfer why should you just wither on somebody else's bench
2: exactly yes it's a uh you know it's just a fascinating subject it really is i mean again not to talk too much about it but you know Growing up in Pennsylvania, half an hour from Penn State, I can't tell you how many good football players, a couple of them quarterbacks. I mean, just the best of the best of the best in high school. In western Pennsylvania, by the way, which is, you know, pretty good quality quarterbacks, as we all know, the cradle of quarterbacks. I mean, they went to Penn State and some to Notre Dame. Never heard from them again. I'm talking fifth string. Maybe got to travel for one game, if that, and ended up, uh, you know, Maybe dressing for a couple of home games where they were literally, you know, ninety eighth on the depth chart and, and yeah. never never, never played a Program play. of college football, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I'll just bring up a good case here. I don't know if he had to sit out a year or not, but you know, sticking with that theme, you know, Joe Flacco, of course, uh, went to started off. Many people don't know this. He started off as a quarterback at the at Pitt University of Pittsburgh. That's right. Uh, didn't work out for him there. He goes down to Delaware. You know, sets. You know, he's just a stud at Delaware. He literally puts him on the map in yeah. college football in that division, the Blue Hens. And I think we all know the rest of the story, culminating last uh, February in New Orleans.
6: Yeah, and it would have been nice if he was able to transfer to you know a Division One school. That would have been interesting to see him attend a bcs school and see what his chances would have been playing for another
2: coach okay so just clarify just to clarify for our listeners you're right so in other words at least back in those days and probably still true today so your division one quarterback your joe flacco you can't transfer without sitting out a year to another d1 school but he was able to basically continue playing by going to a d school delaware is that correct Mm -hmm.
6: Correct, John, he transferred the term is he transferred down, so you transfer down right. one level, you can play right away. There is a little bit of a trend, John, where basketball players are transferring up. Um you had the fellow from Louisville who was the M V P of that game, I believe he transferred from George Mason. So yes. he, he decided to his abilities were could be on a bigger stage and it worked out very well for him in the in Louisville.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's hitting all those three pointers in the uh, final four games, I mean, that, that was incredible. So, he, was he able to transfer without sitting out a year because he went up? I mean,
6: um, that yeah, that? I think he still had to sit out, but um, okay. the fact was that it, it was like, let's say, from a mid major to a high level school at Louisville. Got it. But, but there, Got is, it. there is there a, is a movement towards that for some of the players I've. I've heard different guys transferring from schools in the, let's say, a non-BCS conference, and they think they could play, um, you know, against better competition. So there is that trend as well.
2: Fascinating. Well, this bears watching, and AP, hard to believe, but we've actually come to the end of our show already. Uh, I love talking college football and everything that's around it, whether it be rules and regs or Hall of Fame, and talking about some of the old older names that we all grew up watching and loving watching, and uh, so again, just always something going on in the world of college football, so it's great to have you on to uh, to uh, discuss it.
6: Hey John, it was great, I'd love to be here, and congratulations, I forgot to tell you last week on your 100th show.
2: Well thank you, well we're on to our second hundred starting today, right?
6: <laughs> yes sir.
2: And I feel very lucky to have you joining me, uh, as always. So, Voice of America listeners, thank you for listening to All Around Sports, and we look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern time.